Hello, there we go. Can we just pray? Jesus, we really love you. We just really love you, Jesus. Just so overwhelmed right now. With just the beauty of who you are and your goodness and your kindness. So we just want to just say we love you. And you are our everything. And you're so beautiful and you're so kind and you're so gracious. And you're so merciful and you're so holy. And you're so powerful and you're so mighty and you're so majestic and glorious. And you're so close. And we thank you for your presence. Help us to never, ever take you for granted. We just love you. You're amazing. Amen. I am feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now, so I hope I can, I hope I can do this. Um, Jesus has been playing switchy-switchy with me the last two days, and even just a minute ago, I, I was going to do this talk that I did in the first service, and then the Lord said, no, you're going to do this one. I'm like, oh my word, I don't know, I'm find my notes and everything. So this is going to be a bit messy, I'm giving you a heads up, okay? This might be a bit messy, and I'm going to have to look at my iPad a little bit, because I don't know, but this is what he wants to do, so we're going to... I always say to my team, his job is to tell us what to do, and ours is to say yes. So this is me saying yes. So let's go to John chapter 4. Help me, Holy Spirit. Okay, John chapter 4. We're going to read this through, and and, uh, I'm going to go as quick as I can. But Oh, this story undoes my heart. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot ground of Jacob, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. And what you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you, you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman. <laughs> Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the fathers seek. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Oh my, there's so much about this story that I just love. I'm a little bit undone right now, so I apologize if I get a bit emotional, but well, I just feel Jesus. And I could, we could spend a whole week looking at this story and we wouldn't even scratch the surface, but we're going to jump in and do as much as we can in the time that we've got, all right? So the, it sets out with Jesus going on a journey, and it says he's going from Judea in southern Israel to Galilee in northern Israel. And it says in order for him to do, do the journey, he had to go through Sakar, through Samaria. Now, you've got Judea is here, and Galilee is here, and Samaria geographically was bang in the middle of the two, right? And so it would make sense, and we would be forgiven for thinking that the reason that John feels it's important to tell us that Jesus had to go through Samaria to Sikar was because that was the quickest route to go from A to B, right? That would be the reason. But if you actually take time to look into the context of the story, you understand that's not the reason at all. Because by the time this story was playing out, the Jews and the Samaritans had been enemies for hundreds of years. They hated each other. They hated each other, and they hated each other so much that they didn't just do everything they could to avoid having to interact with each other, but they did everything they could to avoid even having to pass through the places where they lived. The Jews had a very well-known and well-used trade route that would get them from one place to the other, and it was a complete massive like geographical diversion, but it was what they took to go around Samaria to avoid having to even like stand on the ground where Samarians lived. And so Jesus actually had a different route that he could have and probably should have taken that day. The route that was expected would have been to go around it and to avoid it altogether. So why does it say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? I think it's because of this. Avoiding people has never been his way. <laughs> it's just not what he's about. And there was someone that he wanted to have a conversation with. And he arrives in Sikar and he's tired and he sits down by a well and a woman appears, a Samaritan woman. And he asks her for a drink. Now again, to help set the context of the story, what you have to understand is when this was written, women were treated as little more than property. The kind of Jewish male attitude towards women at this time was far from ideal. Women were treated as property. They were passed on from brother to brother. <laughs> in line with kind of Jewish Levitical marriage law, you know, they were considered to be inferior servants, immoral, untrustworthy. A woman was never allowed to testify in a court of law because the testimony of a woman was proven to be untrustworthy. They weren't allowed to talk to men in public, nor even their husband. They were utterly rejected, really, by the, the male society. A man never engaged with a woman in the street, whether it was his wife, his daughter, his mother, it didn't matter. He did not engage with her publicly. And many Jewish men started the day with a prayer of thanksgiving to God, thanking God that he was born neither a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Wow. Interesting, huh? But yet as this story begins to unfold, 
Not only here do we find a Jew initiating a conversation with a Samaritan, which is pretty shocking, but a Jewish man initiating a conversation with a Samaritan woman. I mean, this escalates the whole thing to nothing short of utterly scandalous. Like, this is outrageous. And she understands it. And so she says to him, well, uh, hang on a second. You're, you're a Jew and a man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. You, you, why are you asking me for water? She knew that what he was doing was just utterly wrong and outrageous. What do we know about this woman, apart from that she's a Samaritan? Well, it tells us that she'd gone to the well at noon. Now, normally, the time of day that women would have gone to the well to collect water was in the early hours of the morning, the start of the day. They would go in the cool of the morning, and they would go together en masse, and they would collect the water from the well and take it back for all the cooking and the household chores they had for the day, right? They would certainly wouldn't go at noon in the, in the heat of the day. And it also tells us that she'd gone there alone. And again, that gives us a clue into something about this woman's life because going to the well to collect water was like the social highlight of a woman's day. They all went en masse. You know, girls like to do things en masse, like going to the toilet. Do you know what I mean? They all go en masse. Because it was like that was their moment to hang out as women and talk and engage. And so that's what they did, but not this woman. She was there alone in the middle of the day. And many theologians over the years have, have explained that to us by making the, ex the assumption that the reason she went alone in the middle of the day was because she had some very questionable lifestyle having had five husbands and living with a man who now wasn't her husband. Maybe that's the truth, or maybe there's a different truth, actually, that's playing out here. Maybe if we look at the culture and the context of the time. There's a whole different narrative to this woman's life than the one that we've been buying into. Maybe life had dealt her a hard hand. Maybe having had five husbands in an era where only men could instigate divorce, she had been passed on from brother to brother with no question, no say in the matter, effectively trafficked against her will. Maybe. Maybe in a culture that placed kind of supreme importance on having children, if she hadn't been able to bear children, she'd been passed around while the men replaced her for someone who could, maybe. You begin to look at the, the context. Maybe her story wasn't actually one of adultery. Maybe it was one of rejection. Maybe it was one of violation and abandonment. Maybe. Look into it. It's really important we look into the context of a story before we decide we can sit as some great judge over a person's life. It's not a job anyway, by the way. Ours is to love. His is to judge. Either way, her life would have been nothing short of challenge, and she would have been on the margins of an already marginalized society. She was someone who lived on the, on the far-flung edges of the world, you know? She was lonely, and here's Jesus asking for a drink, and she's going, are you mental? You know, you're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman. This is utterly scandalous. What I love about her is her tenacity, the fact that she dares to talk back to Jesus. Most women would have kept their head down, given him some water, and walked away, you know. Don't want to get in trouble, don't get stoned today, thanks very much. <laughs> Not this woman. Isn't that interesting? What does that tell us about her? I wonder if that gives us a window into her soul. I also wonder what it was that she saw when she looked at Jesus as he spoke to her that day. 
You see, culture suggests to us that what she would have seen in a Jewish man is rejection, shame, dishonor, disrespect, criticism, judgment, and all of that stuff. But what did she see when she looked into the eyes of Jesus? Did she see something different? Did she see acceptance? Did she see love? Did she see hope? Did she see kindness? And I don't know about you, but I think on some levels we can all relate to this Samaritan woman, whether a man or a woman doesn't really matter. I think most of us have had moments in our life where we know what it is to be broken. And no, I have. Or to feel that pain, that deep-rooted pain of shame or rejection. And I think, too, most of us have things in our lives that are hidden away that we'd just rather nobody else knew about, you know? Those not-so-great decisions we've made with our lives. The dream that didn't quite work out the way that we had imagined and the path we found ourselves walking down that we just never imagined we'd find ourselves on. Yet there we are. (laughs) The pain of the mistake, the pain of the regret. But this is the thing. See, Jesus... He sees it all. We can hide it from each other, but he sees it all. He sees it all. He sees right into the very depths of who we are. He sees right into the very center of our inner being, into the pain and the beauty and the joy and the sorrow. He sees it all. And in the kind of swirling mix of it all, he chooses to come and engage with us right where we are at. And that's what he does with this woman. He seeks her out. He tracks her down. He goes out of his way to find her. And in doing it, he pushes against every cultural, religious, moral-based boundary that existed in that time. He didn't care. He didn't care about any of it. He's like, I see you above all of that nonsense and I'm coming after you. It's beautiful. It's stunning. And he breaks into the everyday moment of her life. You know, collecting water is something that she would have been doing every day since she was a small child. This is just an everyday normal thing. And the Lord seeks her out in the middle of the everyday ordinary thing and goes, hey, right in the middle of your household chores right now. Give me a drink. Can we chat a while? When I first realized that, it made me do my housework completely differently. (laughs) It's like, whoo, Jesus could meet with me any moment now, mopping the floor. You know what I mean? I love it. I think we have to be better as a church at learning how to see Jesus in the ordinary and every day. I think the danger, I was saying to some of the leaders last night, the danger in hearing some of the stories like I was telling yesterday, where you hear the big miracle stories, is that somehow we elevate those and we say, this is what spiritual success looks like. I mean, that's what defines it, and everything else isn't, doesn't quite make the grade. It's just a nonsense. We need to learn how to find Jesus in the ordinary and the everyday, and in our suffering too. And go and find people in their ordinary everyday and in their suffering too, and choose to engage with them in it and have a conversation. And then Jesus says to her, you know, I have something to give you that is as necessary to you spiritually as it is physically. I have a water for you. But once you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be thirsty again. I have you a water. 
I have for you a water that will bring true satisfaction to the very depths of your soul. I think as Christians, we can run around very often as believers and we're searching for true satisfaction. We're, we're searching for something that will satisfy the thirst of our soul, you know. And here is Jesus. Here is Jesus saying, there is nothing outside of me that will give you true satisfaction. All that you need will only be found inside of me, Jesus. Do you want a drink? I'm right here, standing in front of you. I am the one. You know, she says to him, doesn't she? When Messiah comes, he will teach us. He will show us. And he says to her, it's okay. It's me. I'm here. I'm right in front of you in this now moment of your... Here I am. Do you want a drink? I am the hope that you have been waiting for. I am the healer that you have been longing for. I am the redeemer that you have been praying for. I am the deliverer that you have been longing for. I am here and I'm standing right in front of you right now. Do you need a drink? I'm here. Stunning, isn't it? And then he begins to just speak this life over her. You know, I have more for you. There is so much more hope for you. There is so much more life for you. There is so much more joy for you. There is so much more peace and healing and provision and goodness. And it's all found inside of me, Jesus. And here I am. <laughs> have a drink. If you want one, <laughs> here I am. Oh my, it's just stunning. Recently, I was back in Uganda and I met this young guy, Saddam. I, I met him nine years ago. When I met him, he was dying of AIDS. He was an end-stage um, AIDS and he had heart failure and TB and he was dying. He was nine years old. He was as thin as a skeleton and, and he used, he'd been gone to the hospital and they'd sent him home to die. And so we were going to the home and just trying to help him a bit, you know, and take certain things and but they'd sent him home to die and said he didn't have very long. And, and he would have this terrible pain in his body that would like become all consuming for him. And he would literally go out of his mind, like as if he'd gone crazy. And it would be like just screaming. And he'd be trying to rip his skin off of his body to try and escape the pain that he was in. And he was pulling out his hair. And it was so distressing. And one day we got there and, and he's there, you know, and he's just ripping at himself and he's screaming and he's smacking his head against a wall. And we're just like, oh, Jesus, we didn't know what to do. They were a beautiful Muslim family. They were lovely, but we just felt we really needed, he needed to just speak out the name of Jesus in that moment because we had nothing else to give him except Jesus, right? Anyway, to cut a long story short, we got to the point where he was like, okay. And we said, Saddam, just speak his name. Just speak the name of Jesus. And the moment this little boy, <laughs> this little tiny boy, the moment that he speaks out the name Jesus, all pain left his body in an instant. Every bit. He came completely back into his right mind. He became completely still. And then he just looked at us and smiled. And the pain never returned. I hadn't seen him since about three weeks after that when we baptized him in a big old water tank outside the bar. He was 10 then. He got in the water tank, got baptized, got out, and then he walked in the minute and preached the gospel to all these men in the bar. And I'm like, go Saddam, you know. Wow, let this be a prophetic statement of what your life's going to be about. And um, I hadn't seen him. But in June, when I was in Uganda, someone said to me, Saddam wants to see you. I was like, Saddam's here. 
And I sat and he began to tell me his story. He recounted that day and, and then he began to talk about what he's seen Jesus do in his life since then, you know, and, and how he, he went to school and now he has a little job and he, he introduced me to his wife who had a big baby bump and they're having their first child and, and, you know, he talked about all the goodness of God in his life and everything that he's seen Jesus do and it was just so moving. And I want to read you, can I just read this to you? This is, I, I audio recorded him because I knew I would sob my way through and never remember a word he'd said. So we audio recorded him. I'm going to read to you what he said. It's very short. Nicola, I was so sick then that whenever I passed people, they did not want anything to do with me. I was disgusting to them. HIV, TB, pneumonia was destroying my life. And as I walked down the street, people would shout and throw things at me and say, here comes a moving corpse. They called me disgusting. They would shout from the street, here comes the walking dead. People never believed I would be anything or that I would accomplish anything. Everyone assumed I would die, but I did not die because I met Jesus. And now as I walk around our community, people come and look at me and they're confused and they say, I think I recognize you, but who are you? And he said, I look them in the eye and I say to them, I am the one. I am the one you called a moving corpse. I am the one you called the walking dead. But see, I am alive. I am very much alive because of Jesus Saddam. And I'm like, <laughs> you know? And as we sat listening to him telling the story of his remarkable life and the healing power of Jesus and his wife and their baby and his job. And it was just such a moving moment for me, you know. But I think so often our human tendency is to judge people and because of our stereotypes or our customs or our prejudices and to dismiss people as a lost cause. It would have been very easy for us to dismiss Saddam as a lost cause. It's what the medical community were calling him. There's no hope for him. We're sending him home to die. It's what the community said about him. He's a walking corpse. He's the moving dead. It was never what Jesus was speaking over his life. Never what Jesus was saying over his life. Jesus never saw people as something to avoid. He never saw people as something to write off. He saw people as something precious and beautiful. He saw people as something he wanted to engage with all of the time. He saw people as something for him to reveal himself to and say, just like he did to Saddam, just like he did to this woman, I see you. Do you want a drink? <laughs> there is so much more for you. And it's found in me, Jesus. And so, <laughs> I guess my question that I want to throw out this morning is, who is the one standing at the well, waiting for someone to come and give them a drink? <laughs> I mean, that's what you guys are doing right? Providing a place where someone can come and have a drink, engaging with them in their moment. Who is the one at the well? Who is the one in your arena of life, standing at the well, waiting for you to go to them and say, there is no shame to be trafficked in here. No shame. 
just love. No dishonor, just kindness. No judgment, just grace. And who is the one who is waiting for you at the well and is waiting for you to go up and say, you are not a walking corpse. You are not the walking dead. There is life for you. There is so much for you. There is freedom for you. There is healing for you. There is peace for you. There is grace for you. There is joy. There is purpose. There is provision and it's all found in Jesus. Do you want a drink? (laughs) Who's the one? And for some of you this morning, you need a drink. You just need a drink. And Jesus is here saying, I I, the one you're just hearing about, the one we're talking about, I am here and I'm here. I'm right here. I'm standing right in front of you. Let's let's talk. Should we stand? I want to pray this morning for people who need a miracle in their body like Saddam did. I believe that God is a God of miraculous. I believe that he is healer. And I also believe he's provider. And so I feel like there's two things that I want to pray into. The first one is people who need a physical healing in their body. We want to pray for you. So if, if you need a physical healing, can you just raise your hand? Any kind of pain, sickness, anything, and you want to be prayed for, raise your hand now and someone's going to come and pray for you. Right, so if you see someone with their hand, you go be Jesus to them. Go pray for them. Um, just go and stand by them and pause for a moment. But also I feel like, just like Saddam has seen in his life, that there are people here who need supernatural financial provision. And I feel like there's something that just wants to be shifted in the heavenly realms and just like something's going to open and this kind of abundance of provision, financial provision is going to be poured out on you. So who needs, who needs a shift in their finances? Who needs some financial provision? Right, if you're standing near someone, go, go be Jesus. Go give them a drink. Okay, so pray. If you don't know what to pray, just say, I bless you to drink deep of his goodness today and his grace and his healing and his provision. I bless you to drink deep and then just invite Holy Spirit to come and do what he wants to do. Kingdom of God come in their body right now. Kingdom of God come in their finances right now. Breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. And I just want to take authority right now over every spirit of chronic pain. We've already heard a testimony, and testimony is prophecy. So we just take authority over everyone who suffers with chronic pain right now. We take authority and we say no more in the name of Jesus. And we say, kingdom of God, come in your body. All pain goes and does not come back again. And we separate you from it right now in the name of Jesus. And we release the presence of God on you. And just wait in it. Just wait in it. Is anybody wanting to be prayed for who hasn't got someone? Okay. Be bold, be courageous, just kingdom of God, come. I bless you to know his provision. I bless you to know his healing. 
Thank you, Jesus. And I just have this sense that there are some people who are just really struggling with this kind of whole issue of shame. Like there's some kind of past regret that just hangs in the kind of the back bit of your mind. And I just feel like the Lord wants to like deal it a death blow. Say, shame, you have no place here. Go, you know, your time is done. You're just done out. So I just separate you from shame. If that's you and you've been carrying something, I just speak the forgiveness and the freedom of Jesus over you and I break the power of shame in your life and I tell it to leave you alone. Your past does not define who you are. Jesus does that. And he calls you beautiful and he calls you loved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like this, I feel like this holy righteous indignation with regards to shame. I'm like, no, we're not having it anymore. We're not having it. Because it will hold you back from fully stepping into what it is the Father has created you for. So I'm just going to pray again. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over every spirit of shame that would try and pull you down and pull you back into your past. And I separate you from it right now in the name of Jesus. And I speak his acceptance and I speak his love over you. The past is gone and a new day is dawning. The past is gone and a new day is dawning and it's good. It's good. It's full of goodness. It's full of life. It's full of love. It's full of mercy and it's full of truth. So I just speak blessing over you in the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Shall we worship? Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.